Greetings, Magic Mobbers. Welcome, boys and babes. It's that time again. It's the Magic Hour, a place where we navigate through life's peaks and valleys with all the vulnerability and shamelessness we can muster. With the help of world-class guests from all walks of life, we uncover new truths and valuable tools for manifesting our highest potential. I'm your host, Mercedes Terrell, along with my partner in shine, Jade Bryce. Hey, you guys. I am genuinely so excited to talk to our guests today because we're going to be diving into the topic of boundaries, something which is largely part of my journey currently, and I'm realizing how critically I've been neglecting putting boundaries into place mm. in my own life, um, particularly you know, in my, with my family, and I am so excited to pick her brain on that. Yeah. Um, I'm excited too. I'm really still trying to define what boundaries are mm -hmm. <laughs> and how to define my own and, and then how, of course how to communicate them to my partner and to my friends and family members. And I feel like I'm just kind of on the beginning of this journey. Yeah. So I'm glad to be getting the basics today. Um, so yeah, got a lot to ask our guest today. So let's get her on. Yes. With a master's degree in psychology and a bachelor's degree in sociology, today's guest is a renowned relationship coach with a passion for helping individuals and couples have healthier relationships with themselves and others. She immigrated from Syria to the U.S. as a young child, bringing her fascination of the critical role family culture plays in intimate relationships into the work she does today. She has a background in the theatrical arts as well as in film production and interestingly utilizes her knowledge in those areas in her relationship therapy. She's an expert in teaching practical relationship skills and how to have healthy boundaries. And we are huge fans of her Instagram account and her podcast where she's constantly dropping knowledge on these topics. We're thrilled to be learning from her today how to turn conflict into connection and how to love with integrity. So with that, please welcome Sylvie Kukasian to the Magic Hour. Yay! Thank you, so Thank you for the lovely introduction. Thank you. Hey, that's all you. <laughs> <laughs> We're so excited for this. Um, you most often talk about boundaries. So our first question is we wanted to ask you how you define what boundaries are. Yeah, it's a question I often get. Definitely, you know, there's so much confusion around how to recognize where our limits are, where's our no, where's our yes. And so, you know, it's a combination of an intuitive feeling we have in our body, but it's also, it's, it's, a, it's a limit that protects our integrity. It protects our emotional integrity, our mental integrity, our physical integrity, and our spiritual integrity. And so, what we do to preserve those things is where our boundaries and limits need to be. And you know, what I love to say about uh, boundaries is that they're so evolving as we are, right? If we have a wound or an emotional scarring around something, we're going to be more protective around exposing that or mm -hmm. even sharing that with other people. But as we start to feel safer and healed in that particular um, in, our, in that particular area, we're going to recognize that, okay, this is an area that I can start to soften this boundary around. So that's a distinction I like to make right away that they change, they evolve, they're not fixed, mm. and they're very situation and environmental, environmentally influenced. Mm -hmm. 
Will you explain the four boundary violations that you have spoken about often? Sure. So the four main ones, um, and this is by the work of Raquel Lerner. I like to give credit to the people that came up with these. Um, She identified that there's four different boundaries that we can start to uh, be more aware of so that we can start choosing differently. And so we have our physical boundary, which is, of course, our skin. Our, and that's the most obvious one that we can get, okay? If someone mm-hmm. hits me or touches me inappropriately, I'm likely to just know that, that this does not feel good and potentially say something. Not to say that, you know, we might not, we might still feel uncomfortable or, you know, of course, in dangerous situations, we might be afraid to speak up in those situations, but we can still more easily know that this is wrong, mm-hmm. right? And so that oftentimes gets really impacted if we were abused or, you know, not really respected for those physical limits as children. And so it's Mm -hmm. like those red flags start to not work well and we are not really able to differentiate healthy touch from loving touch. Mm. So that's the, that's the one I like to start with because it's, it's the one that's easiest for people to understand. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we have emotional boundaries and emotional boundaries are, um, you know, our privacy, our emotional expression and the ways that these get violated are, let's say you're a child and you had a parent that, you know, your parents were going through a divorce and one parent leaves and the other parent now turns you into a surrogate spouse and they start venting and oversharing things with you or you're responsible for now instead of being taken care of yourself emotionally you're now regulating your parent emotionally yeah and so that's so confusing for a child no child can tolerate that it's overwhelming and it creates a very um it's called a parentified child where that child then goes into relationships, of course, feeling codependent, mm-hmm. taking care of the other person, putting them and their needs above their own and not recognizing why they feel so angry and resentful and confused. Hmm. You know, is that one, does that one make sense? Yeah, that one resonates. I mean, I just feel like everything, you know, I've read through all of your stuff. I've listened to a lot of your, your podcasts and whatnot. So I've heard you talk about these and I want you to finish describing these different boundaries, but that specific one, I, I'm like being triggered by it because not not necessarily my specific life, but I have like a really close friend who I know is dealing with this boundary right now, like just trying to set it and it's the biggest struggle, you know, it's just how do you become, and even setting a boundary feels like the work of a parent in a sense, you know, mm. so <laughs> that's got to be a really hard one to set. It's so hard because it's like it becomes so much part of our identity. Like we think this is my role. You know, we're all given different roles as children. You know, it's like it's not just changing. Changing one person's boundary affects everyone in the system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so if that person's role has been to be the comforter and the emotional regular of the family, changing that even, you know, intellectually might seem like the healthy and right thing to do, but it does involve often a lot of grieving and yeah. recognition of all those times where their needs were, you know, dismissed. And this is where codependency comes in, huh? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Where the codependent, you know, habits of putting somebody else's needs ahead of our own and not even being aware that we're doing it, you know, recognizing that even we can be in the same room as somebody and we're scanning for, okay, how can I take care of this? Mm-hmm. And instead of even just being able to be in tune with and present with what's happening for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And so the other, the other two, um, we have intellectual boundaries. This is the one that really blew my mind. And I didn't know, I had no idea of this concept. And, you know, in the same way that our emotions need to be validated and honored when we're kids, we also need our, you know, perception and our, what we're, what we're seeing when we're young, you know, what's happening at home? Is it being talked about? Are, are my parents acknowledging that they're getting divorced? Are they acknowledging that there's drinking or that mommy is really sick and can't get out of bed? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not to say that kids are supposed to know all the details. That's you know, a violation of the emotional boundary, but it's the ability to say, you know, mom and dad are going through a hard time or mom and mom or dad and dad. I want to be really inclusive of the different, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, relationship orientations. Um, You know, it's, it's being able to put the experience that the child is having into a context also appropriate for their development and their age. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so what happens if we don't have anyone validating us, we don't really know how to make sense of our reality, then we are usually drawn to people who are really charismatic, they Mm -hmm. can be really assertive, they're they're the ones that make all the choices because we don't know how to do that for ourselves, Mm -hmm. you know? And um, it creates a lot of confusion. One of the, one of the tools I often give people that really struggle with the intellectual boundaries is journaling, but like, not like just journaling the day, almost like, um, like a journalist, like what you saw, almost like matter of fact. That you're validating yourself. Exactly. You're reparenting the part of you that didn't get permission to do that when you were younger and you can just sit with yourself and validate you. So then when other people do invalidate you, you're more likely to set a boundary. Hey, you know, I get that this might not be what, how you see things, but this is how I see them. And it's really important for me that you're actually acknowledging and validating. Yeah. And so is it also not like covering up, not wanting to talk about the divorce, but is it also like the narcissistic abusive parent that tells um, the child that she's lying when she tells people she's being abused? Um, Absolutely. I know. I don't know if I have noticed that with some parents, a lot of parents that I know that abuse their children, um, especially in my family, they tend to say that never happened. And I've always been curious if it's because they're blocking it out because they're in denial and they're in shame, or if it's because um, they're now on meds and it changed, they're like altered their, I've never understood it, but that's where I saw like maybe it could affect people too, is when they're told they're a liar, when they're talking about their mm. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And even more damaging that way, when now not only are you seeing something, but asking if you're saying it's different. Yeah, right. you, can't, you can't process it and it, integrate it. A lot of kids that have had that experience grow up to have high anxiety and just like fear of, you know, being able to just be with their own experiences. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. What you're saying is is very much what gaslighting is, you know, that didn't happen. That wasn't a big deal that, you know, why are you making such a big fuss about, or even worse, what you said, it didn't happen at all. Mm -hmm. So that is very, 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 very deeply confusing. And the ironic thing is we tend to be attracted to the very kinds of people that violate our boundaries. That's what's so, so interesting. So that happened as a child. And then I ended up dating someone who was an alcoholic. So he literally wouldn't remember it, how it was. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if he was purposely gaslighting or just didn't remember, but, um, and we want to hear about the fourth one, but I'm interested too, how people can, is there a certain thing people can do, um, that makes them recognize that they are aren't crazy and that this is yeah really someone just 
Gaslight, gaslighting, you're saying, yeah. Mm, totally. Well, I think that's where the psychoeducation in the mental health community is so important. You know, when mm-hmm. we start to learn, okay, this is healthy and this is actually not healthy, we start to have a more of a cognitive awareness. And we, when we start to feel validated, whether you're working with a coach or a therapist and you tell your story and they're like, no, this is not okay. Your story mm-hmm. is valid. This person may not remember it in the same way that you do, but them approaching you and invalidating your experience is not okay. And this is actually very appropriate for you to say something for you to set up and see how they respond if they continue to do what they're doing then you get to choose if you want to continue a relationship with this person because you're right sometimes people you know they bring their own stuff you know we we all violate boundaries you know some people in much more extreme ways but i believe all of us are violating boundaries unknowingly constantly so i think we have a responsibility to speak up not just for ourselves but to even give the other person a chance to to mm. see they're capable of showing up i mm. would not recommend doing this with someone that is an extreme gaslighter or yeah, abusive yeah. you know that that's yeah. just not i would not recommend that and i suppose once you're conscious of the boundaries you um, weren't given as a child once you're conscious of those, then you're able to recognize them as an adult right away in a relationship. So I guess the the number one step is coming face to face with that. What boundaries did I, was I not given as a child? Yes, and validating your own experience. Because what happens is when, when we're denied, when we're not validated, we do the same thing to ourselves. It goes out the same way it went in. Mm-hmm. And so if, if our reality was denied, we're likely to minimize it ourselves. Oh, it wasn't a big deal. My feelings don't matter. You know, I can get over it. You know, we talk ourselves out of our experience, whereas the work is... No, let me just see how I really feel. Let me just kind of sit with, do I really agree with this person or am I just doing that because that's what I was forced to do as a child? You know, mm-hmm. So giving ourselves permission to slow down and really feel and think about what's actually happening. And mm-hmm. this is a hard process. You know, I really want to acknowledge that for, for you guys. It's super hard, especially if you've developed a codependency, then it's like, it's a catch 22 almost. It really is. And even doing this work for as many years as I have, it's still very hard for me to recognize, you know, when certain boundaries are violated, it takes a lot for me to be able to just speak on that or feel like I can stand up for myself in, you know, it just happened. Somebody sent me a message on my Instagram and it was a very mean message. And I was like, this is not okay. This is really hard. This is not, this is not okay. Yeah. And even just being able to say that, even though the part of me is like, oh, they didn't mean it. Their intention was nice. You know, I go through all these things. But, you know, my practice is actually speaking the boundary when someone is actually really being mean and being okay if they don't like me, you know, feedback. And if they're not willing to kind of see their harsh and hurtful approach, that's no longer my responsibility. Mm. I I continue to be overly nice and overly considerate. That's when I lean into my codependency, which Mm. is very comfortable for me to go to. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So what's that fourth one? Yeah. So the fourth one is the spiritual boundaries. And this, you know, it's interesting. I have been seeing a lot of posts on Facebook lately with, um, and again, I, I respect all religions and spiritual beliefs. I'm very, you know, open when it comes to accepting 
Mm-hmm. You know, whatever somebody believes. And yet I think with organized religion, we, we can oftentimes bypass what somebody's experiencing and try to get them to, um, to a higher state of consciousness when they're not ready to go there. Mm-hmm. So that's what a violation of a spiritual boundary is. Let me take this verse out of the Quran or the Bible or, the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or whatever religious or spiritual belief, and let me read this to you. Instead of meeting the person in their pain, in their experience, and validating it is using some kind of spiritual lingo. You know, the law of the the the, the law of I'm blanking out, law of attraction. You know, <laughs> when that came out, everybody was you know <laughs> telling each other, preaching it. Yeah. You manifested this. You know, <laughs> oh, yeah. you make this happen. You know, it's like that's the last person somebody that's having a mental or emotional right. breakdown mm. wants to hear or needs right. to hear for them. Right. To know. So it's think of the the spiritual boundary. It's a bypass, and it can also happen in um, in a lot of organizational healing places where it's very mission oriented. They want to get you to transformation in a three day workshop, mm-hmm. and you're like. Uh, I'm not ready to go there yet. Maybe in a couple more days, you know, but it's like this rush to get you to work on and face and face this vulnerability so that you can go beyond it. But it can often cause us to really shut down internally and um, actually delay the healing process even more. Yeah. Tricky. It's like the person doing healing work has to be really sensitive to the person in front of them and, you know, to really be able to honor their pace and not make it about their own agenda. Yeah. And that's where it gets tricky when it comes to group settings. And so that's something. The difference between healing and fixing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And the difference between going to a professional therapist and then, or just reading a book and trying to do it at home with your spouse. <laughs> right. Totally. Probably yeah. not the safest setting. Probably. It's not. hard. I think that a lot of that, the, and this boundary is based in fear because it's like, um, especially with organized religion, you're like fearing that they're going to be damned to hell. So you're trying to save them. And then with um, even the healing, you're like fearing that they're going to be in pain or they're not going to um, become conscious. So you're trying, you know, so it seems all based in fear in that one. Totally. And, and think about it. What you're saying is like, it's basically about me, not about you, but it's like, it's my fear that you're not going to do X or my fear that you're going to go to hell. And that's actually one of the things that a lot of, you know, spiritual people can do is they instill that terror in a child at an age where they can't even deal with that emotion. And so they walk around just feeling scared to make a mistake or they Mm -hmm. put their parents on such a pedestal because, you know, a a parent that is spiritual, but that is not conscious of the mental health realities can maybe they don't share their vulnerabilities with their kids because they're bypassing their own experience due to their spiritual belief or their conscious faith. Mm-hmm. And so then the child's like, well, I don't have a reference point. I have to be this godly figure, but I'm in pain. So yeah. they are constantly feeling a shame and terror for, for just basically being human. In a yeah. Way. Yeah. And what I'm hearing is that it, it stems also back to codependency Um in the fact that the person that's pushing, let's say, spirituality on somebody else wants them to save their soul, you know, whatever it is, I don't know, they're pushing, but wants them to save their soul so that they can still have them in their next life or whatever the belief is. Otherwise, they will be the one in pain. You know, it's not really, Mm. it, it seems it's almost never about, I don't even know a circumstance I can call to mind where it's about someone else genuinely. Like it always is some selfish nature, it seems. Is that, yeah. Feel accurate at all? 
Well, I think when parents can introduce spirituality and a religion in a way that's a more of, more of a guided approach and answers their kids' questions, but doesn't is not doing it in a forceful way or in a punishing way, then that child has, you know, we, we want to guide our kids to believe in similar things, especially if we think that they're good for us. You know, sure. I think that's understandable completely. And, but I think we get into trouble, like you said, when we're doing it and we have like these huge agendas that a child cannot possibly fulfill. And yeah. it's extremely damaging for a child to be responsible for something like that. And there's so many extremes in different religions. Right. Mm-hmm. But I do think that, um, that this is coming much more to surface the lack of that mental aware, mental health awareness in a lot of this, in a lot of major religions. I think that's coming, yeah. coming out more and more. Yeah. So you guys brought up or one of you two brought up that we're often attracted to whatever it is, the um, boundary that we're having issues setting. We're usually attracted to the person that kind of probably feels safer. Yeah. The repeat of the, the, the wound, I guess it is mm-hmm. um, from a younger childhood trauma or whatever it was that brought this boundary or lack of boundary, I guess, into our life. Is that the case? Is that, um, how do I want to formulate this question? Do we seek out a way to heal old wounds through our relationships with other people? Um, and how do boundaries play into that? Beautiful question. And the short answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> we unconsciously attract familiar. And part of it is exactly what you said, Mercedes. It's, it's the, it's the un it's like we're not aware that we're trying to heal it, but we're we're trying to close the mm-hmm. close the cycle in a healed way, you know. Mm-hmm. And so our, our brains are very patterned; and they're extremely patterned in the ways that we've been wired and all the memories and the kinds of experiences we've had. Here's a person that's very similar to mom or dad or to my siblings, or and so I'm going to be naturally drawn to somebody that feels so familiar and cozy and homey and all these things. And so yes, and the the beautiful news is that that doesn't always end up in a bad way. You know, mm-hmm. I've seen many couples pair up perf- with perfectly matching wounds. You know, this person's wound, you know, is a perfect mirror for this person's mm-hmm. mood and they trigger the, sh- you know, the shenanigans yeah. out of each other. Mm-hmm. And we don't want them to stay there. You know, right. it's okay for people to trigger each other's stuff, but ha- they have to develop a way to stand up for themselves, stand up for their needs, and to communicate what what's important for them, and also take in consideration their partner's vulnerabilities and sensitivities too. Mm-hmm. So sometimes there can, you know, be some something really healing that can come out of a of a situation that uh, starts off in more of a uh, not so healthy way. But with if both partners are committed to doing the work, and you know, I like to talk with my hands. They're, they're doing their own <laughs> talking right now. Okay, there, there you go. <laughs> but not always, you know, we hear this concept of trauma bonding, and I don't do too in-depth work around that. But of course, if the wounds are so deep and they're touching each other in ways that keep both partners dysregulated and it's just so toxic, that might not be, you know, a situation we want to stay in, but every partner is going to trigger us. Mm. And is this person responding to, you know, the boundaries that are important to me? Are they willing to do the work? Am I willing to respond to the boundaries that are important to them? You know, I often share the example, you know, me and my partner, you know, my emotional boundaries have been a really important part of my journey and his intellectual boundaries have been a really huge part Mm -hmm. of his. And in the beginning of our relationship, 
I, when I was so committed to being right at all costs, I would, you know, be like, my version is the right version, you know? And it, what it this didn't work for him. And, you know, he didn't say something for a long time because he wasn't even aware that he felt violated. And right. so when he finally had the courage to tell me, I was like, Ugh, you know, <laughs> like I'm doing this to my partner and mm. this is not okay. And I still do it without realizing when I'm in a trigger state. And my work is recognizing that, okay, I just stepped on the line, mm -hmm. call myself out, do the repair so that he feels validated because that's so important, you know, yeah. but you know, that's a choice that we make. Do we want to be a partner that's going to be an advocate for our partner's healing or are we, you know, just going to continue to bypass their needs and not make their boundaries important to us? Yeah. It's such a powerful powerful tool to be able to recognize it first off and then see when it comes up every time and you know draw yourself out of your ego head or you know draw yourself into a place where you can be emotionally sober enough to act from your heart instead of your yeah your head I guess in that case mm -hmm. um, and I and we're gonna ask you about how do we set these boundaries and I know that that is trickier probably than it even sounds um but I wanted to ask you just because right now we're studying up for uh, a guest of ours that's going to, you know, we're talking, we talk a lot about open relationships and all types mm -hmm. of different relationship styles. Well, she is in an open relationship and has a, a child. And so a young child now, but we were talking about boundaries earlier and it being like, where do you cross the line with kids and telling them too much and that type of thing. Well, when it comes to something like an open relationship, how do you navigate that without crossing boundaries with a child? Hmm. You know, I think that giving children a general theme is usually where we want to we want to kind of stay. Again, depending on their age, it's really really different. But you know, for a four year old child, you know, where we we can I mean, let me let me stick to a, a better age, maybe like a you know, a six-year-old child, you know, letting them know, you know, mommy and daddy maybe have, or mommy and mommy, you know, whatever the dynamic is, have, you know, a different kind of relationship dynamic than maybe other couples that you see around. And we just want you to know that that's okay. And if you ever have any questions, you can always come to us. And, um, you know, I think that there's fluidity there, but I think obviously the details of what happens in that relationship does not necessarily need to be yeah, shared, you know? I wouldn't, you know, share what's happening sexually or, you know, or even maybe, you know, recognizing that kids at a certain young age can't even handle a lot of sexual content. That's overwhelming for their system. They can't. And so I think that them witnessing the couple, even just in having a healthy relationship is so powerful in itself, you know, mm -hmm. being able to have, you know, having the model and being able to treat each other with respect and honor. That's huge. But also, what are some of the concerns that my children might think about at this age? You know, mm -hmm. what are some of the, the objections that they might, you know, feel or concerns and how to address those in a general way? I don't work too in depth with parenting stuff, mm -hmm. but I do know that we have to be very careful with unloading too many of those details. Yeah. And, um, you know, I highly recommend working with someone when you're when you're in that situation to kind of help you recognize, mm -hmm. okay, for this age, at what age can I start introducing sex, or what age can I start, you know, answering questions in a little bit more in depth? But does, yeah. that, does that help a little bit? Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. Um, so how do well, Mercedes said our next question? How do we set boundaries? So how do we set boundaries? The first piece is, you know, like you mentioned, Jade, is the recognition piece, is the validating ourselves because mm -hmm. we're not going to do a good job of setting the boundary 
when it comes out in an aggressive and harsh way, which a lot of times it does when we've been so constipated and not expressive of our, our limits, you know, it can come out in like a volcanic way. Yeah. And so spending some time recognizing, you know, that's why I love maps. You know, I work a lot with attachment mm-hmm. styles. I work a lot with the, the boundaries map and I don't like to use them in a, in a fixed rigid way. I really like to use them as a tool, again, psychoeducation to really help us understand what are the specific boundaries that speak to me in particular mm-hmm. and own that and validate that, validate that for myself and then start bringing them into the relationship. You know, mm. if it's an emotional boundary, you know, I'll give you a practical example. If somebody is not really, um, you're, let's say Jade, you're feeling really sad and you're sharing that you feel sad with your partner and your partner's like, Oh, it's not a big deal. You know, this is not, we've talked about this. And so you standing up for yourself for your emotions would look like, you know, I get that this might be hard for you, but I'm having an emotional experience around this. And it's really important for me that you're able to, to honor and validate that in order for Mm -hmm. me to feel close to you. Mm -hmm. And so I really, especially when it comes to intimate relationships, which is what I tend to, you know, focus on, I like to be inclusive in the way the boundary is delivered. How is a boundary going to serve as person so it doesn't always feel like I'm just saying no, Mm. this is what I need. And this is what's, what is going to help me with you. It's going to help me feel closer with you. Mm-hmm. It's going to help me feel more connected and seen and safe. Um, and of course, if the person responds harshly to that, then we can, you know, crank it up and be a little bit firmer. Mm-hmm. I've expressed my boundary. I, I don't know what's getting in the way of you hearing it, um, but this is what I need. And if you need to take some time, we can cool off, but this is important. And so being really firm and honoring that container that's around you, that emotional, the physical, the, you know, all of that, that we're ha- we have to be advocates for mm-hmm. another, in order for other people to really, to really value that in ourselves as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I heard you talk about... Um, kind of, I guess the way I received it was planting a seed with a partner too. Like it doesn't have to be something you are pushing so firmly on them in that moment, but you mention it, Mm -hmm. you allow it to resonate and sit in. Like this is something that's really important. You use the words that are, you know, uh, critical and getting the point across that this is really important to you and then allow it to kind of rest with them for a while. I love, yes, that's huge because I know for me in the past, I've tried to drill it in yeah. and it doesn't work, you know, yeah. first of all, they're, they're going to dis you know, they're going to disconnect after three sentences yeah. or less, you know, but just being able to recognize, okay, I've said what I need to say, let me back off now and let me observe. Let me see, are, are there, is there any effort being made? Are they trying? Um, or is there an openness? Maybe, you know, your partner's like, I don't really see what you're pointing at. Mm-hmm. You know, let's say you're like, when we're in public together you talk over me and I really don't like that. That does not feel good for me. I'm not necessarily saying, hey, this is a boundary that I have. If anything, I actually suggest for people to not use the word boundaries because it can be confusing and people, what the hell is this person talking about, right? Mm -hmm. Just in your language and in your energetic expression, Mm -hmm. you're creating a boundary statement. Mm -hmm. And so when you do this, when you talk over me, I feel really uncomfortable. I really need you to let me have space to speak when Mm -hmm. we're out. And then if your partner is still doing it over and over again, again, because their brain is really patterned, they might not even be conscious of this, you can absolutely 
absolutely, you know, negotiate a way to do that in places where you can actually let them know or have a tap on their knee or have some kind of communication. You know, when me and my partner are out in public places, I have to leave by a certain amount of time or I'll get overwhelmed. But mm. the poor guy is having such a great time is he doesn't want to leave. You know, he's like, oh, I just got here. I want to enjoy and connect with people. But we've had to negotiate ways where I still need to, you know, I'm leaning into more of my discomfort and he's mm. leaning into his discomfort. And so now I just make a little, like, I just like, <laughs> make a little, I'm like, I can't even talk. I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's my limit. I can't go beyond yeah, this. Right. If he's, if he doesn't come with me, I leave. Yeah. Mm. I have to leave. It's not even, I'm not doing it as a punishment. Right. It's like, I have to take care of myself. Yeah. And he does, he, he's, he gets this, you know, but it's taken us a long time to figure out. And, you know, I think a lot of times people assume that just because I've, I've expressed the boundary that, okay, why are my partners not getting it? They must not love me. They must not respect me. No, sometimes it's just, we need more time. Our brains are not really comprehending what the, what the need exactly is. And are they open? Are they receptive? Are they listening? Are they making effort to try to understand this area is yeah. where I try to. You know, so how about if they're not like, how about if it's not a loving relationship? Not that so, um, for instance, with me and my mother or me and my children's father, mm. um, they constantly overstep boundaries and I get extremely triggered because to me, it's the same, you know, being raised and then being with this man for a certain amount of time. It's, I get triggered the same exact way and it's still my peace, but it also makes me react to them in a way that I don't want to. So if it's a situation where the other person is not caring about the boundaries and they're not open to it. Um, but you still need these people in your life or, you know, they're either family or your children's father or whichever situation. How would you set a boundary in that um, circumstance? And how would you Amazing also question. try to keep yourself from being so triggered yeah. so that you're not stepping into your ego and making it, you know, way worse? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I get this question so much, you know, particularly with family dynamics, you know, or parents that are older that they're like, what the hell is a boundary? Like you're, I get to come in your space whenever I feel like it. I'm your parent. You know, it's like, you should mm -hmm. love me. Loyalty. Boundary sounds like rule. Yeah, it does. And there's like, just, they don't understand the concept of that. And, you know, there's no right or wrong way to deal with this. I mean, every family and system has their way of dealing with this. But I think if we want to do something different, the way to that would be to instill healthy consequences and not the ultimatum, like you're saying, but really what is something that I can instill that will take care of me so I don't go to that extreme place, but that I can still preserve a relationship if I want to. If I want to keep a relationship with this person or my, you know, whoever this person is, how can I maintain it in a way where I'm not constantly feeling like I'm, this is what's happening. And sometimes, you know, with clients I've recommended, maybe you only see your parents in a group setting, you know, maybe you don't see them alone. So it kind of diffuses the energy. And I would encourage, you know, anyone to, to speak the limit first, you know, I know that I brought this to you a lot. I know that I don't believe that you're doing this maliciously. I, again, some people are, but if you don't believe that, it's important to speak to that. Mm. However, I feel really bad when this happens. And if this continues, I'm going to have to do X. And that's up to the person to really decide what that's going to look like. But it's essential to hold you know, firmly to that limit so that people you know, really take us seriously. Mm. And it's the hardest with family. It's the hardest. 
Mm-hmm. I think even more than intimate relationships, because families are there, the system has been rooted and imp- implemented for years and years and years and changing our, again, our role in that system forces everybody to change and people don't want to change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you see um, women lacking boundaries more than men? No, actually, I see that men, you know, we live in a time, I think, especially within within the spiritual community right now, I noticed that men are encouraged to be in their masculine and take on the woman's emotion and just stand there and be this rock. And I think there's a lot of emotional abuse happening with men, actually, you know, Mm. and women are entitled to being angry and frustrated and all these things. That's valid. And yet I think that sometimes because men have so much guilt and want to be good and repair so much of the damage that has taken place historically with women, they'll actually just kind of allow themselves to Mm. take on emotional abuse. Mm. And they don't set boundaries because they don't feel like they have the per- the permission to do it. They feel like now they're going to be weak or other men are, you know, holding this masculine, almost godlike entity, which is so not realistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's okay. And what I often coach the men I work with is, you know, redirect your partner. If they're in an emotional expression, say something. Mm-hmm. I want you to express yourself. Your feelings are so important to me. Just don't criticize me or mm-hmm. please just do it in a way so I can stay present and so I can hear you. And I can't tell you how many women appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're so turned on by that. Right. Setting yeah. that precedence is really, really the masculinity that we're probably begging for, you know, mm-hmm. it actually makes exactly. me think of, um, this for some reason the visual of like a Siberian a big Siberian husky dog and a little Chihuahua dog and the little Chihuahua is always bossing the husky around <laughs> and jumping all over him and totally crossing all the boundaries and the husky's like, I see you, you're ridiculous, you know, <laughs> but yes. I love you. <laughs> yes. And I don't think any of us want to act out like that, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't. Right. I, I don't. I mean, I know when I've responded in extreme ways with my partner, it's been really helpful when he's set a boundary in the middle of a conflict, mm-hmm. but respectfully, you know. Hey, you know, not meeting me in my own crazy, you know, but just really speaking to the limit so that the container of what needs to come up actually is more beneficial to the relationship. Yeah, there's so much work to be done done i feel like in the the realm of navigating the ego in between how you perceive when someone else is acting from something that's for themselves or acting at you you know like doing something to you and i think that we we think most of the time of course we all think we're the center of our own universe and to some degree we are and so we think that you know everything is happening at us and to us and we're we're being, you know, pointed at and blamed at or whatever. But if we can kind of readjust that perspective so that to remember that every time we act at something, it's actually us acting from a place of our own, you know, domestications, our own traumas. And, mm-hmm. um, and if we can do that, then we can realize that anytime someone else feels like they are um, triggering us, it's coming from something going on in them and not going on in us. You know, there's vindictive, vengeful things that I'm sure happen. And that's probably a lot more, that's really obvious when that's happening. But I think otherwise, for the most part, it feels like we're all just kind of reacting from our own domestications and traumas. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and so much of our brains, you know, we go into flight, fight or freeze and 
it's not so much the details of what's happening, but it's just that intense fear is overwhelming. Mm-hmm. That's why I love, you know, Gottman Institute. He's a huge um, distant mentor, a mentor that he doesn't know he's my mentor. He's a mentor <laughs> in his work and um, his, his work along with his wife, Julie Gottman, you know, they really advocate for that break, you know, that 20 minute break when you're in that, you're, mm-hmm. you're the part of your brain that has access to reason and healthy logic is gone yeah trying to solve a solve an issue or create some kind of understanding in that place is unlikely to happen that's why if you can if you can start to recognize that a boundary is about to be crossed if you can call it out sooner you might be able to stay engaged in the conflict but if you've already gone beyond that point you got to take that break and just allow yourself space to de-escalate. Yeah, that that makes me think about hormones and chemicals, you know, and, and these things when we can, I think that's a huge part of this too, is just starting to understand your body more and the physiology of what's going on. And when you feel the the emotion come up, you know that you're triggering these chemicals to come up, which means you have to move them through your body before you can react from a, an emotionally sober place. So that's hundred percent magic trick there. Mm-hmm. It is. <laughs> it is. And and if we can even just speak a tiny little bit to our partner while we're triggered, that can be huge. You know, like I get that you're, you know, I'm in a shitty, you know, I'm having an experience and I, I, I love you. You know, I, I care about you. Just like if we can speak in a simple, small way, a way that we're, we're also taking into account our partners there, mm-hmm. our partner's presence, they're still having and to witness what they're experiencing. Then we start to move more towards a secure functioning and collaborative approach. Mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, what has been one of the biggest um, realizations in, you know, doing attachment theory work, which I know we didn't get into on this call, but, you know, for, for people that are aware of this, um, you know, some of us, depending on how we grew up, you know, it forced us to be really self-focused mm-hmm. and not so much other focus. So we tend to, you know, for more anxious, we're so afraid of not getting connection that we'll cling and we'll, you know, we'll just kind of approach our partner in really intense ways that pushes them away. If we're more avoidant, we'll shut down and we'll, we'll just kind of protect ourselves, but then we'll end up leaving our partner out in the cold. So it's like the way to secure functioning is to be able to recognize, you know, those, those harmful behaviors in relationships and start to incorporate our partner in our experience, bringing them in, being sensitive to how we're likely affecting them in when we're behaving in those unhealthy ways. Mm-hmm. Why do we sometimes not set boundaries? Is it because we're afraid of disconnection or conflict or is it just because they've been violated throughout our childhood and we just don't know how, do you think? I think it's everything that you just said. Mm-hmm. I think it's all of the above. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, we all want to feel accepted and we all want to fit in. Nobody likes feeling like they're rocking the boat. Mm -hmm. But if you grow up in an environment where your boundaries were deeply violated, you likely don't know that they're being violated. You know, Mm -hmm. that's why we were drawn to people that are so similar. And even though on some level we know that something's funky, but we're still, we're still sticking around. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard. It's like those red flag um, alert systems. They're not working well. They're not mm. working properly. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times when I'm working with a client, I'll give them a suggestion to try out a boundary just to see how it feels. Mm. And it's not a boundary that they would ever do on their own. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like try this thing and see how it feels. Mm. And does it help you? Does it make you feel closer? Does it make you feel more connected to yourself and more integrity? Does it, you know, just observe yourself as you try on this thing that you would never 
probably do on your own. So mm. it's like being open to uh, to playing around with things that are that are not necessarily things we would do naturally. Mm-hmm. So yes, to go back to your question, Jay, those reasons along with um, sometimes just not having the language. If we didn't mm. see anyone model how to do it well, we mm. might have an awareness that there's a boundary, but and that's why a lot, a lot of what I like to focus on my work is the practical stuff. Like, how do you do it? I don't know. Yeah. You know what do I, what do I say, or how do I say without offending my my person yeah. or my friend? And I don't expect people to copy paste, you know, what I say. But mm-hmm. I, it helps when we see someone else doing it, and we have the language. It it kind of sparks things in us to figure out. Okay, mm-hmm. what's a way that I can apply this and find my own version here? And after we do that, how would we tend to our partners after we've set that boundary? Um, so that depends on your part, the person. You know, some people don't necessarily need anything. You know, some people are fine. I've 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 expressed boundaries with people, and I've seen people, couples that I've worked with, that their par- partner is capable of hearing it, and they don't feel rejected. They don't feel like you know, it's not, they don't make it about them. They're able to just hold space that this is something my partner needs and that's fine. So it's like paying attention to the response. If you see your partner go into shame, then that means that they likely were perhaps maybe they didn't have boundaries as a child themselves. So they don't recognize this need or this process. And so um, you might not necessarily do it in that exact moment, but you can comfort them. I know it's hard. I know you're really excited about going to this event and me saying no last minute probably really sucks. And Mm -hmm. if I was in your shoes, I would feel really, you know, crappy too. So it's just empathizing, you know, empathizing. That's all. It's really just, again, it's taking care of yourself but also bringing your partner in again and whoever it is into the equation. And I think that's where it gets tricky. It's like we often see a lot of messages with just set the boundary and then just be done. Mm. Well, that's okay with a stranger and that's okay with somebody (laughs) you don't want to have a relationship with or somebody that's being abusive. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you. When somebody sets a boundary with me or, you know, something that kind of feels like an awkward conversation, I like to be approached with sensitivity and concern. Don't you guys? For sure. Yeah. So, I, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that I think what you're setting out here, these boundaries, like being able to come up against these uncomfortable places that we got to go, okay, this is something I've got to lay out for my partner or for my relationship with my friends and family because it's, I'm going to grow more from it. However, I have to take the very, very uncomfortable step to do that. And that's what makes humans, these incredible beings that are progressive and able to thrive the way we have Mm -hmm. because we're willing to do uncomfortable shit to get to the better, you know, the other side to get to the, the better evolution of whatever we could be. I think that's like what we have up on every other animal out there. We're willing to do something consciously uncomfortable. We know we're going into it and it's going to suck, but we're going to do it because we can, you know, we can predict enough into the future that we know that it has a likelihood of coming out better for us later. So anyone listening, maybe that can be inspiring. Like you are, you were born a human being. So this is part of your work while you're here is stepping into that uncomfortable gray area just to Mm. make it to the other side. Yeah. And even just reminding people, you know, I think that it's okay if you do it shitty. You yeah. Mm. You're gonna fix practice. Screw yeah. up boundaries. I don't know anybody that doesn't screw up boundaries sometimes or come off like an you know, I don't know if I can yeah. say the a-hole word. Say anything. A-hole or, you know, <laughs> come off like a, just a shit in a shitty way. And 
there's always the repair and yeah. that's the most important thing that if we if we do do make a mistake or if we you know do violate in, in a way that's just not at all our intention we can always own it i really try to do that that was not how at all how i pictured how it would come out you know and yeah. i'm aware that the way that i just spoke my boundary was bizarre and <laughs> i'm working on it okay i'm working on it too yeah yeah humility so- Humility. Humility, exactly. Humility and empathy. Um, We do have a couple questions from our followers um, really quick. And one of them, we call them our magic mob. Uh, Leslie says, I've heard you speak about the importance of taking ownership of the shitty things we did in recent conflict with our partner. Could you explain how neglecting this can create a loss of trust over time? Can you repeat the second part of that, Jade? I just want to make sure I understood it. Could you explain how neglecting this can create a loss of trust over time? The neglecting the repair? Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, it's perfect weaving from what yeah. we got. <laughs> Timing of the universe. It hopes it works. Yeah. Talking about taking own, the importance of taking ownership of the shitty things we did in mm-hmm. conflict with our partner. Mm-hmm. Which is just, yeah. just, yeah. just what we, you know, we were just talking about, you <laughs> yeah. know, just really acknowledging and, it, well, that, and that takes self-awareness. You know, we have to be able, it's not the, the butterflies and the love and the good stuff that ruins relationships. It's the, it's the inability to take ownership and the inability to recognize that we all have limitations. We all have deficits. We all have vulnerabilities that get in the way. And I think, if we don't have an awareness of that, or if we're not willing to listen to our partner's feedback, of course we're going to lose that safety and trust. Yes. And so, because then we won't feel validated. We're going to constantly be spinning around in our own head and trying to make sense of things and feel completely disconnected from our partner. And over time, you know, that just you know stacks up on top of each other, and the disconnection just continues to just grow and grow. This yeah. doesn't mean that every single time it has to be repaired perfectly, but there has to be a solid emphasis and effort to effort. validate each other. Yeah, yeah, it's huge. Uh, another question from the Magic Mob: Akeem asks, "Where does shame start for us, and how does it weave its way through our lives after childhood?" This is a big topic. <laughs> yes. So shame is an interesting, interesting thing. Shame starts to come online. I think it's at about one to two years old. I might be wrong about the age, but it's a, it's an, it's a feeling that is the most painful for a child to experience. And it basically happens when a child starts to feel really powerful in their being and they start to take more risky um, actions and maybe they want to jump off the couch or they want to do these things. And so the parent starts to say no. And as the parent says, no, the child feels shame automatic because the child doesn't have separation from parent and self. It's like one person. So when the parent says no, they feel the shame. They hunch over. You could literally see their, their physical being go down and it is excruciating. So if a parent does not regulate that well for a child in the same way that, you know, how you said, how do you comfort someone after a boundary? You can yeah. If they go into shame, that that's an emotion that they struggle with. Mm -hmm. And so if the parent didn't do a good job of regulating that feeling for the child over and over, Mm -hmm. I know this is hard for you. Mommy doesn't like or daddy doesn't like saying no, but I have to. This is important. And obviously not in so much words for a Mm one-year-old, but comforting them, holding them. Then the child gets dysregulated in their shame experience as an adult. And 
a lot of times when you're bringing up something to your partner, if they struggle with shame, let's say, I, you know, this really hurt me, Mercedes, you know, I did this thing or Jade, this, you know, yesterday when you talked over me, I felt really crappy. If the person on the other side of that receiving it struggles with shame, they might get angry because that's a defense for shame or they might change the subject or, you know, basically spin everything around so they don't actually, actually ever have to confront what you're saying because those things are easier to do than having to deal with feeling the shame. Mm-hmm. This is a really common reason why people leave relationships. I've, I've found that they cannot regulate uh, mm. this experience, which means that they oftentimes struggle with being empathic. They have trouble saying, I'm sorry. They have trouble mm. really getting their partner's experience because they get really stuck and overwhelmed in their own experience. Yeah, mm. it's definitely me. I'm definitely, you know, shame-based. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... And I res- that all resonates with me. Yeah. And the way we can prevent that is, um, for our children is mostly through validating their feelings, right? Yes. And finding the way that your particular child needs comfort because every child needs different things. You know, what soothes them and learning. And, you know, part of the repair for a parent and child is paying attention to those nuances and attuning into, uh, you know, some kids need more. Some kids actually need a little bit more space and figuring out um, with trial and error, but being yeah. committed to figuring that out is so important. Yeah. I've heard you say too, when it comes to, to assisting in shame regulation with our partners, it takes like 25 times of repeating this practice of, of empathy um, in order for us to pick it up and use it consistently. Yes. That's what my therapist said. I never forgot. I never forgot it. I told my partner right away. I was like, all right. So we have about 23, <laughs> we have 23 more rounds of these to go and I'm good. It helps. It helps. Yeah. Kind of, mm-hmm. But it really did make a difference when uh-huh. that for people that are listening. I would get in a shame spiral and I would get angry and all these things would happen. And I was like, what the heck is going on? And so him just holding me, you know, that mm-hmm. was the most helpful thing. Sometimes less is more, less words, just, and allow that soothing and comfort in as much as you can in small doses, whatever you can tolerate mm-hmm. but over time, as you feel more and more safe in the relationship and feel safe that, okay, if I do reach to my partner, they're going to be there. Mm-hmm. That starts to, again, create more, more yeah. I don't think I've ever had that. No. (laughs) Not fun. It's not fun. (laughs) So our last um, question from our followers is, um, well, we actually had several people Hmm. write in when we announced that you'd be on our show. Um, Many of them had questions about the attachment styles that you brought up. And I know that that's a really big topic, but we were hoping that perhaps you could give us just an overview of what these attachment styles are and why identifying which one we resonate with is helpful in our own self-growth and in our relationships. Well, I love the attachment styles is my meat and potatoes, which I often say, you know, it's been, it's ultimately, I'm going to, I'm going to try to think about the most concise way to answer this. Um, the way that we bonded with our primary caregiver, the person that was in charge of emotionally regulating us, it could be mom, it could be dad, it could be um, uncle, grandmother, whoever was the main person that really had us in their care regulating our, uh, our emotions, how that relationship was and how the caregiver responded to us when we had needs and when we, you know, we were expressing certain things that we, we needed, um, 
that is what creates the attachment style. So if you grew up with a caregiver that was very attuned, very responsive, not perfect, they still made mistakes, but they repaired things very quickly. They could sense, mm-hmm. okay, that didn't work. Let me try something else. Then you're more likely to develop a safer feeling experience in intimate relationships. Mm-hmm. Again, there's so much here. So I feel like I'm yeah. going to be skipping a lot, but I want to just kind of touch on what I can. Um, if we're if we grew up with a caregiver that was kind of in and out, sometimes they were available really well, sometimes they weren't. So it's like there was a lot of back and forth, and sometimes even in invasive ways, it creates a lot of confusion and anger. And that person grows up in relationships where they're 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 never sure if the if the person they're with is going to be available. So they're hypersensitive to threats. They're afraid of being abandoned, and because they've had that connection, so they yearn for it, but they often express themselves in really indirect ways and in almost ways that um, that ends up sabotaging the connection that they that they're so yearning for and then we have people that are more dismissive avoidant which is that's somebody that was left alone a lot as a child neglected on emotional level or their parent was really invasive so they shut down they regulate themselves and in intimate relationships they're like the CEO type they're really look confident and they have you know a strong sense of self business focus perhaps and just and they don't really value intimate relationships on the surface mm-hmm. that's what at least that's what it that, that's what they show that's not the truth but that's what they show and so they have a hard time being vulnerable being close responding to the needs of other people um, and then you have fearful avoidant, which is a lot newer. The first two were John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth. And then later, Mary Main brought in the fearful avoidant, dismissive avoidant. And that usually comes from parents that have a lot of their own unresolved traumas. Mm. Um, I work with a lot of immigrant people that have this attachment style. Mm. Like they, they had a really traumatic uh, journey away from where they came from. And they're often dysregulated and grieving. And so they approach their children sometimes in harsh, uh, frightening mm. or abusive ways. And again, it's not intentional a lot of the times, right. but the child both loves the parent and is deeply afraid of them. And what's interesting about there's the difference between avoided and fearful is that avoided, dismissive, doesn't really feel a lot, feel a lot of high anxiety in relationships, whereas the fearful avoided does. So mm. a lot of times people get the anxious and the fearful confused because they both feel anxiety, mm. but it's manifested in a little bit in a different way. And this is a spectrum, you guys. We can relate to more than one. Yeah. A lot of black and white fit. There's a lot of gray, which is what you guys really yeah. you know, speak. <laughs> There's gray in everything. Yeah. I don't know which one of those I am. So knowing which one of those you resonate with most, which I'm going to have to listen back to this interview and figure Mm -hmm. that out again. um, How does that help us in our own self-growth and and, and in our relationships? Great question. Helps so much. If I'm more anxiously attached and having the map and understanding in the same way the boundaries maps helps us kind of like, okay, this is something I need to be more mindful of and speak up about. If I'm more anxiously attached, I kind of know that... I don't really approach my partner in a direct way. I'm usually, you know, maybe I'm sarcastic. Maybe I'm, mm. you know, I, I maybe try to make them jealous to get their attention. I know that I do that. I'm onto myself. So mm. I can bring that awareness into the repair. I can call myself out. You know, I realize 
what I just did. I totally did that thing where what I really wanted to do was actually just ask you for some mm-hmm. connection time. And I don't know how to do that. I'm still learning. I, I, I know there's things about me that might push you away. So you being able to recognize that about you then helps you validate what your partner is experiencing. Mm-hmm. So you have the ability to reconnect again. And I can't tell you how fundamental this is because if we can't validate how our partner experiences us, that's a disconnection. Mm-hmm. And they're going to feel more and more like afraid that their experience is not being um, is not being understood and cared about and empathized with. Whereas yeah. somebody you know dismissive avoidant, perhaps again they go really internal, they shut their partners out. Them knowing that about themselves on an objective level, they can speak to that. You know, I really suck with. Mm-hmm for your needs Mm. when you have needs i want to run to the hills (laughs) and that must feel like shit for you Mm, right you know and i i'm still working on it you know this is not something i'm completely you know i don't know how to do this perfectly feels uncomfortable to share even share this with you but i know that it's really important oh i think that's so important so valuable because once you do that you just it, free yourself. You know, most people go, okay, yeah, I'm this thing. And then they think they're just going to sit in that. And maybe some will, maybe yeah. some will be like, yeah, I'm, you know, fearful avoidant. So deal with it, you know, yes. their attitude. But I think at some point we all want to be like evolving and growing. I, I hope that's the case. I don't know that everyone's all on the same track or speed of that, but when you can be truthful with yourself and go, I am this thing. I know I have this issue. You're going to probably take some time to look at it deeper and how to resolve it, you know? Yeah. And it also sounds like, um, no matter the style, we all just really need to own our shit. Like, yeah. Responsibility. Yeah, exactly. And I've seen so many different pairings. People ask me all the time, you know, I'm avoidant and my partner's anxious. Can we work? I'm like, yes, if you're both committed to doing the work yeah. and aware of your own default mode, absolutely. And yeah. you know, I love what you said, Mercedes, because it's so true. We can know all this stuff about ourselves and use it as a form of righteousness. A crutch almost. And almost an arrogant, like, oh, yes. I don't know, they know myself that, you know. But <laughs> there's a self-development skills. And then there's relational skills. Yes. Mm. I think that there is often not enough of a bridging of both of those. Mm. Yes. How do I take those self and now actually use it in a way where I'm connecting with you and using it as a way not to, you know, just show that I'm self-aware and that I know all these things and I'm so conscious, but nobody gives a shit how conscious we are. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't serve and them exactly. in any way. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Um, and, and, we talk sometimes about uh, relationship styles like wave anchor. Wave. And We're both waves. Island. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but of course we want to be anchors, right? We're all working towards mm-hmm. that thing, but yeah, it's just like what you're saying. You know, you can, you can say you're a Gemini. I can't be with you. I'm a Leo. That's never going to work. Whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever the yeah. thing is. Um, or you're an Island. I'm a wave. It's never going to work. But I, I would invite people listening to take on the challenge of whatever the relationship style they you know they are and they come up against in their partners or other family members or whoever it is they're in relationship with um and their uh what do we call the attachments the attachment style relationship style all these things that we label ourselves with if they're not exactly in line like you didn't find that anchor you didn't find that other person who's in the same attachment style as you 
take on the challenge. Like there are tools out there for all of this. This is, mm. this is kind of what this show's about. Yeah. This is what your show's about, Sophie. So yeah, this doesn't mean it's the end. Y'all can work through it. It's just mm. the beginning. Just the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Sophie, there's a few short questions we like to ask everyone who comes on the show. So first off, if you could hug your younger self right now, what would you say? What I would say while I'm hugging her? Yeah. Oh, this is is a deep question. (laughs) I would say you are loved in spite of your mistakes. Mm. How old are you? How old do you think? Probably six, five or six. Mm. That's good. If you could have the whole world read one book, which would it be? One book. Um, I would say at this moment it would be Wired for Love by Stan Tatkin. Oh, I love that book. Yeah. 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 Speaking of the relationship styles. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That your brain on love is one of my favorites and it's such a short, easy read. But do you have a book for um, these types of relationship attachment styles? Yeah. Attachment styles. Do you have a book recommendation? Book for that? recommendation. Yes, yeah. there's, a, there's a couple. There's The Power of Attachment by Diane Poole Heller. Mm-hmm. The Power of Attachment. Yes, that's the right name. Attached by Amir Levine and Rachel Heller is a great Attached. one. Yes. The reason I really like The Power of Attachment, I'm still hugging myself here. I was like, oh! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. <laughs> Uh, the power of attachment is really great because it adds the um, this the disorganized, the fearful avoid mm-hmm. attached, which is mm-hmm. not in a lot of other ones because it's more new. So for people that identify with that, that would be where I would go. And then the the Wired for Love by Stan Tackett and Wired for Dating, which is the dating version of Wired for mm-hmm. Love. If you're in the I didn't hear of that one. And yeah. you want to really figure out, okay, who's going to be the right match? Who's going to be more compatible for my kind of attachment? And it's a fantastic read. Mm. How about for uh, boundaries specifically? Do you have any book recos on that? I do. I have um, Where to Draw the Line by Anne Catherine. It's fantastic. Fantastic. A lot of uh, practical, again, practical examples and different kinds of um, breakdowns of where boundaries can be applied mm-hmm. for. Yeah. Fantastic. So Dependent No More by Melody Beattie oh. helped me a lot with boundaries. Another great one. But I'm so glad that the book you listed is a book that I have like <laughs> on my shelf. So that makes me happy. We're gonna list all those in the show notes, guys. Yeah. All right. If you could whisper one phrase to everyone on the planet, what would it be? Whisper one phrase. Whisker. I heard whisker. Yeah. <laughs> well, she's a cat. <laughs> um, um, Slow down, mm. connect, and just know that everything's going to be okay. Mm. Mm. Presence, huh? Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Um, before we let you go, where can people find you online? So the best place would be my Instagram page. I would say mm-hmm. That's where I offer you know, free content as, as, as daily as I can make it and mm-hmm. lots of lives and posts oriented around the attachment styles and um, – boundaries topics mm-hmm. my website Sylvie Kukasian and of course if anyone's interested in practical tools for boundaries I also have a boundaries program so I don't know if you want to that's so that. cool yeah. I don't think a day goes by that I don't share one of your posts to either my stories or in a dm so that's what I was gonna say it's to my you. you called someone your mentor you're like they don't yes. know I was like 
that's you. <laughs> that's yeah. you for me. <laughs> it's so true. We literally send them back and forth, I think, Jade. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just want to say thank you so much for the work you're doing because yeah. it is changing our lives, even just through your Instagram posts. And you, you really have a way of speaking about these topics that just comes across in a gentle manner, yet still impactful. Yeah. And, and, and it gets people to think, and that's a skill in itself. That is like an incredible talent. So thank you so much for all the the effort you put into your work. Cause I know it's gotta be a ton and it certainly made an impact on us here at the magic hour. So thank you for being a light Sylvie. Yeah. And we don't get to see your like, your, your beautiful face on Instagram. It's yeah. like, you know, all the, it's the meat of all the knowledge. And so it was so nice to like, see your face. You're such a goddess. that's like radiating when you're sharing this information. So, so cool to be able to witness that as well. You both are so incredibly kind. And, you know, sometimes when people reach out to, to you for these things and you can just feel their energy right away through mess. Mm. Like mm. I just felt that from you both. And it's just mm. so, so special to, to have that way of, you know, communicating with people on the online world, you know, so, yeah. so deeply appreciate you both. Thank yeah. you. For me. Thank, Thank you so much. She was just a gem. Yeah. Just a she, gem. I like her a lot. She, uh, can we hang out, Sylvie? She was, um, very much a, like a really beautiful, wise crow. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's not your first crow. Ruthie was a crow. Ruthie was a crow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, who was it? Yeah. Ruthie's a crow. Yeah. They had a very cool. similar energy, even though they're so different. Yeah. They, they both had a really similar energy at the same time. The crow is so, uh, such a strong you know type you know like it, it, what's it it's the like between it's like a messenger spiritual and yeah, yeah between the spiritual world and it's the like, real world isn't right? it known for at- I, I don't want to mix in game of thrones here but isn't it like <laughs> like almost like they have a yeah. third eye you know yeah there's this that's actually i think where they probably get that from that yeah. spirit animal but i know it has some similarities with cat so i don't like and it's I, between, i'm trying not to yeah they, they're like because cat has a bridge but mm-hmm. yeah the crow, though, has some like people kind of think of it as more as far as what I read, because because my mom was thinking she was one. Remember, mm-hmm. and then Ruthie was once so we were reading about it. But I want to say it's something like um, it has a, a mystical or like magical ability. Yeah, to... what I remember is they were kind of like a messenger from the spiritual world, but like mm-hmm. kind of like in and out of the spiritual. Yeah, and the... but there was something about it when I was reading yeah. it and I, I don't know how to articulate it, but it gave me the sense that people sometimes fear the crow's mm. abilities because it's like magic, quote unquote magic, you know, yeah. something woo woo that they can't understand. Mm. So they, of, of course, fear anything they can't understand. But it's the same um, with a the possum. They're, they're oh. feared, but they're heavily misunderstood. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. I love that stuff. I like <laughs> when you tell us what which one you saw when you, you have the energy to read it because it's pretty cool. Yeah. I never know if like if it's <laughs> fitting to bring up in the interview. But then as soon as we get off where I'm like... <laughs> That was a monkey. Mercedes, guess what? (laughs) He was an owl. (laughs) That's funny. I know. Oh, speaking of which, my cat's meowing in the background. She'll probably give us a couple sounds. She's like, "Did you? You rang?" (laughs) That's funny. Um, Sylvie might be able to tell us our attachment styles, but we could tell her. Well, you could tell her your. Uh, her spirit animal and I'll translate it by reading the book directly into the microphone yeah that's a good idea you should memorize what they all mean and I can just I'll recognize them and then you that's a good program we got a system down (laughs) all right right, so 
my magic trick. What is our magic? It's really simple. So she already talked about ways to set boundaries, but this is just five specific things you can say during conflict. Okay. And this, I save this to my phone. So uh, like whenever she posted it, but it's been a while. Mm -hmm. So these are five things you can say during conflict that I really liked. One, could you express that differently? I feel mm. like that's non-threatening and it's just... God, that's good. Yeah. yeah. And then this, could you bring your tone down a bit so I can stay present? The fact that you're saying so I can stay present... That's it. So good. So good. And then I really need my perspective validated before I can continue. That's a firm mm. one, but it's really good still. Mm -hmm. And then... If you can say it with an emotionally sober tone, I think you can get really yeah, a good yeah. response with that. Mm -hmm. Let's please take a time out and just hold hands for a few moments. I really like that one. That's so you right <laughs> it's there. It's so me. I have never had a partner that would say yes to that, by the way. Um, have you asked it a lot? I have. Yeah. And I've also brought up later after we've made up that I wish that they would have been open they to would that. Do that. Mm -hmm. Damn, because I'm trying to picture – sorry to bust up your magic trick in the middle of it, okay. but I'm trying to picture – Say, getting the courage and vulnerability, mm -hmm. uh, you know, mustered up to say that in the middle of a heated Imagine argument. Imagine saying it and then getting pushed away. That's what I'm saying. That's what's happening. So, like, just that times. part. Yeah, to get mm -hmm. to get the balls to do it, and then to someone mm -hmm. to tell you, nah, yeah, it would be no, like don't come so enraging. Yeah. So I guess that's why we're afraid to say some of these things is because what if we get denied when we had mustered all this courage and vulnerability? It never made me. I never got fear from just it and, and i'm excited for my next partnership because i know that um it'll yes, be the he's one that, totally gonna be over to that yeah and i then, can already feel it <laughs> and then the last one is i need to take a little break i'm gonna come back to you in 30 minutes i think it's so important that you say in 30 minutes because otherwise mm, it can time. be yes it can it can come off as such a egoic uh -huh. You're being punished but the fact that you say i'm gonna come back to you in 30 minutes it gives them the idea of Okay, I have 30 minutes to cool myself down too. Yes. You know? And because we're both waves and we're thinking of it from a wave perspective, when you're in that relationship you're not style. You're like an island. Yeah. Well, you think the island that you're with, mm -hmm. you know, which I know we've had a lot of experience there, is saying, I'm taking off and I'm not going to deal with this now or right. probably ever. Which so is if the you at worst. least. Yeah, if they made a commitment, I'll come back in 30 minutes, that would be huge. Oh for my them, God. You know? It would, I take all my anxiety away. Yeah. I'd feel so yeah. glad to and proud to right. be with them Me just too. because they said so that. Those and the that's a boundary in itself, setting but that I time boundary. But I think it's important to say in 30 minutes and not, even if you're setting a time limit that you don't say tomorrow. Like even that is mm. like, mm. that would drive mm. me up the wall. So those are the five things that you can say during conflict. So I also wanted to just bring up that she also, after conflict, after things have been solved, she brought up apologies. And I, I just wanted to use a few examples. So she said, an apology is not, I'm sorry you feel that way. It's, I'm mm -hmm. so sorry I hurt you. Because it's something mm -hmm. we often say, I'm so sorry you feel that way. But that's not validating them as much as, mm -hmm. I'm so sorry I hurt you. You're taking because ownership. Because then you heard what, you know, their hurt was mm -hmm. and you're, you're admitting to that, that mm -hmm. you were a part of it. Mm -hmm. And then an apology is not, that was not my intention. An apology is, I will be more mindful of this in the future. That's oh, that's good. Really Chris good. says that to me a lot, Ugh. but almost to a point where I'm like, are you just reading this I out of a book a lot, to get too. out of this argument? But that's because my wave yeah. self is thinking of the island thing again. I've been saying it. I will be more mindful of this in the future, <laughs> but I mean it. And then yeah. an apology is not, maybe you're upset because this is one of your triggers. Ooh, that would trigger me. 
Wait, maybe you're upset because this is one of my... One of your triggers. One of your triggers. Oh, that would trigger me. An apology is, I know you're sensitive about this and I screwed up. It's the way they say it. That almost comes off at first. I know. And then you're like, you butter it up at the end. So you're like, I know this is something you're sensitive about. Like, it's all your fault, you know? But then you're like... No, but but I think that they're being sensitive to your needs when they say that. I know that you're sensitive about this and I screwed up. Like, yeah, when they say the I screwed yeah. up part, you're like, okay, wait. You're like, wait, I hate you. Wait, I love you. Yeah. You're and then the last so one, <laughs> an apology is not, you are making a big deal out of nothing. An apology is, I'm sorry. Can you help me understand why this hurts? That's a good That's one. That's good. Yeah. She's good. Yeah. You don't even have to say the I'm sorry part first. Just wanting to understand why it hurts mm-hmm. is the you know like i don't even like hearing i'm sorry a lot of the time anymore <laughs> you know like that almost yeah. pisses me off because you i feel like women we hear that so much i'm sorry and then no change happens nothing it doesn't else. piss me off but it doesn't do much for me i'll say that yeah. but the other stuff it's better can, than nothing yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right so try those out <laughs> sorry we're a couple of goofballs but it gets late on these podcasts recording the, the next we get time delirious. i'm in a partnership and and we are in a fight i'm definitely gonna ask the old hands and see what oh for well, sure yeah. i gotta use that i gotta use it yeah. give it to me one more time uh let's please wait yeah let's please take a time out and just hold hands for a few moments so it's oh, not talking. to get in a fight it's now. not talking <laughs> just hold hands because the the power of touch yeah, right. The power no, of allowing yourselves to connect again it's and intimate. just mm-hmm. be in each other's presence without speaking, where you can both calm down. Think about how great that is. I love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So, what's yours? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? I'm delirious because I woke up at like I texted you earlier at the before. You know, there was before dawn and I had this crazy dream, which I'm not going to get into now because it'll take a whole podcast. But man, it took me four hours, Jade, to journal it. I yeah, dream journaled that. for four hours. So like from 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. or something crazy ridiculous. It's a serious one. And I woke okay. up to a snake at my door. And that's a whole nother story. Let's get into that sometime, too. That is an interesting one. All right. All right. So my uh, magic trick is it actually comes from Dr. Lauren Fogel Mercy on Instagram. And she says, yes, uh, she says it's okay to let the phone call go to voicemail and call back later. And it's okay to turn your cell on do not disturb. It's okay to not respond to every text message immediately. It's okay to check emails less frequently. And it's okay to take a break from social media. So these are all, you know, in line with what we're talking about with Mm -hmm. Sylvie today regarding boundaries. Mm -hmm. So you can set your own boundaries and you don't have to have this anxiety. You did? Mm -hmm. I turned on my do not disturb on my text. How to feel? Scary at first? They started Facebook messaging me. Oh, God, there's got to be a better system than that. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, these all are amazing. The trouble with us, I think, is that so much of our line of work mm-hmm. is on social media and on our phones. And yeah, so it, there's this sense of urgency stays because it's yeah. how we pay our bills. So, um, so and I'm just finding being the in this, I think being in a line of work that, um, you, 
you know, I want to call it like an independent contractor, someone who has to basically go where the money is when it's there, Mm -hmm. like do it now or it won't be there later type Mm -hmm. of thing. It's not like a nine to five or a salary to position or something like this. So, yes, it does already put, you know, an extra anxiety on you as to make sure you're available now. It's, you know, what's the uh, the definition of luck is the intersection of opportunity Mm -hmm. and um, preparedness. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's kind of the idea. Nobody's getting lucky in this entertainment industry it's just a matter of being prepared and ready for that opportunity when it shows up so mm-hmm. um i get it yeah we are yeah. anxious about answering calls and emails mm-hmm. and text messages and like social it. media but i think that there is a way to um to to schedule it into your day like even chris last night was telling me hey i think i'm going to start scheduling mm, like a you know whatever 15 minute block yeah. in the day where i just get to like do whatever i want on social media and then the alarm goes off so i got that done like okay that piece is done and then i can go on yeah. and do the work i have I to do i used to tell myself i could only be on doesn't mean i'm going to spend the whole hour but i can mm-hmm. only be on from 10 to 11 a.m. and like 4 to 5 p.m. Those were my two hours that I could yeah. be on social. That's when I got my business post done. That's when I checked my favorite accounts, whatever. I was not allowed on the rest of the day. And I did because that. I automatically. I did it for I like a whole year. And, and it worked. It was very nice. Very nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I find myself just going there. I'm like, why am I in exactly. here? You know, and, and I heard Eric Godsey actually the other day say to move the app, mm-hmm. uh, like every three days because in about Ooh. three days you get the muscle memory back. So move it again. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't even have to move it far, but it just every time you're searching for it, you remind yourself, why am I going to this app? That's good. I don't need to go here. Yeah. Cause it's all about I that endorphin release. That's you good. Get. I am going to start doing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Magic mobbers. Thank you so much for tuning in and taking this journey with us. If this episode held some magic for you, please share it with your friends and family. This would mean so much to us. And don't forget to join us on our Instagram page at the magic hour and let us know what your favorite episodes have been so far. We appreciate all your feedback and want to know what is lighting you up. Yes, yes, yes. And I want to remind you guys about the little contest we're doing with our reviews. So all you have to do is write a review for us on your podcast app. Take a snapshot of that review right before you submit it or after you submit it and post it on your Instagram tagging us at the magic hour spelled M-A-J-I-C so that we can see it. And if we pick you, you will get a hundred dollar Amazon gift card. How fantastic. Yeah. And we release a new episode every Monday, guys, so you can catch us again next week or go listen to some of our past episodes in our podcast library right now. Mm-hmm. We'll meet you there. Until then, be, be a light. light. Big thank you to at Rayton Royal for our intro jam and to John Aaron Garza from Real In Motion Productions for producing the show. Stay magical, friends. Quick disclaimer. We are not medical professionals, so following any of our protocols or advice should be done at your own risk, people. And please remember to always, always do your own research. Tap into that extraordinary growth mindset we all have access to within ourselves and seek out your own answers. Come on, guys, you know, you know the deal. And by the way, if you are a medical professional or an expert in any topic we cover and you feel we are not giving accurate information about it, please find somewhere to contact us. Contact us via social or email us at our website and let us know. A major goal of ours in doing this podcast is to 
bring value to people's lives by sharing helpful insights and info. So we welcome being corrected at any time and we'll be happy to share any of our fuck ups with our listeners so as to get us all back on track to discovering our happiest, healthiest selves. <laughs>